Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, many of you have inquired about Neil Bantelman, the Canadian teacher once imprisoned in Indonesia who is now back home. We'll give you an update. All the major political parties have come up with their campaign slogans. Do any of them appeal to you? And another real estate scam you should be aware of. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. We've had uh, quite a few emails over uh, you know peri- a period of time uh, talking about the story in regard uh, to in regarding to uh, in regard to Neil Bantelman. Uh, you might remember Neil Bantelman was uh, the Canadian teacher, uh, originally Burlington family. He also spent some time in Calgary, uh, and he and his wife uh, teaching in Indonesia at a at a private school there and. Uh, uh, Accusations uh, fly against Neil and a teaching assistant and some janitors at the school. Uh, the next thing you know, uh, Neil has been uh, falsely accused and ends up in the court system in Indonesia. And and for this uh, highly regarded teacher, it just his life turns into a nightmare for him uh, and his family as they try to seek uh, justice in Indonesia. Uh, and then uh, earlier on in the summer, I believe it was in and around, uh, well, we'll, get, we'll clarify all of this. Uh, we just out of the blue found out that, uh, in fact, Neil was free and back in uh, Canada, uh, obviously uh, taking time to decompress with his family and, and traveling around with uh, he and his wife and enjoying his his newfound freedom. And uh, we're hoping to, to speak to Neil eventually when he's uh, he's ready. But we've just been getting uh, emails and, and such from people just saying, hey, whatever happened to Neil Bantaman? Can you give us an update on the story? Can you tell us what's going on? And blah, blah, blah. And uh, and every so often we get emails like this. And oddly enough, uh, we were broadcasting live. Uh, Liz and I were down at um, uh, Burlington's Rib Fest, Spencer Smith Park, which, of course, goes every Labor Day weekend. We were th- down there broadcasting live on Friday. And, and Guy Bantelman, who we've had on the air, I don't know how many times now, Neil's brother, uh, walks right by as we start chatting, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I'm thinking over the weekend, we've, we've at least got to get Guy on and, and, and perhaps give us some sort of update of, of uh, how Neil's doing and what the situation is and, uh, and go from there. So uh, joining us again, oh, I thought I hung up on him. Joining us again is uh, the brother of Neil Bantelman, Guy Bantelman, and he's with us now. Guy, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. So uh, how long has Neil been back in Canada? Uh, it's coming up on about a month and a half right now. Okay. Uh, he, he was back mid-June. Um, and, uh, yeah, as he said, we're taking some time, and Neil takes some time to decompress and, and get moving again. When did this all start? How long has it been? And do you, do you remember how many times you've actually been on this show talking about this? I, I think this is about 45. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start keeping track now at 45, because I remember I lost it about 30 and couldn't believe it was that many times. So, well, and how long a period uh, was it? It was that? almost five years. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it started July 14th, 2014, and, uh, and June 22nd, 2019. It's almost five years. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, uh, first of all, how, how is Neil doing? How is how's the family doing? Uh, good. Uh, Neil's, you know, adjusting slowly. There are a number of things that we've got to kind of work through and we'll continue to work on for, for the weeks and months to come. Uh, as far as the family goes, you know, there's, there's a lot of relief there. Obviously, this has become part of our everyday life. And um, it was something that was just always there, and it's allowed us, uh, since Neil's been home, to, to kind of, you know, refocus a little bit. Obviously, I think it's brought the family together, and we've had some some good conversations, and we'll continue to have those conversations as we go forward. But it does put uh, life in perspective uh, dramatically. Uh, so really, it is kind of trying to, I don't think you heal from something like this. I think you just have to you deal with it and, and, and make sure it's addressed properly and then move forward. Uh, give us, uh, for those that may not know the, the, the story of Neil Bantelman and how this all came to be, give us the capsulated version of, again, how this all transpired. Yeah, Neil and his wife were uh, working at a very prestigious private school in Indonesia. They were there for um, three years. So they were into their fourth year, and uh, accusations were leveled at a group of uh, janitors 
in addition to the accusations, the uh, uh, this mother uh, launched a lawsuit for $25 million U.S., and the school obviously took the accusations very seriously. They um, committed to having it reviewed and resolved, but they wouldn't be party to the lawsuit because of uh, the janitors were actually not employees of the school. Uh, the mother then came back and accused uh, Neil, who was a vice principal, the principal of the school at the time, and uh, a teaching assistant of also being part of uh, this abuse scandal and increased her lawsuit to $125 million. The uh, the janitors were uh, um, were all convicted of, uh, of terms of seven to eight years. Uh, Neil and the teaching assistant were convicted of, a, of an 11-year term. And um, any did anybody hear anything more from the alleged uh, accused that that started all of this? Anything more on them? Uh, the, the mother specifically? Yes. Yeah. So the mother, um, um, she actually left the country uh, very soon after the convictions were rendered. She was she spent some time in in Europe. She is now back in Indonesia. Uh, the lawsuit um, has been, you know, in and out of the courts, and it has been finally dismissed by the courts. So that's obviously also very positive. Uh, you know, at, at this point, you know, it really is. Um, as, I don't think there's much getting to the bottom of the case. You know, right. the, the justice has been served as far as they're concerned. It really is the healing that we need to go through. Uh, you know, Neil specifically, obviously, and Tracy, and then us as a family. In other words, it is what it is, and and now you just have to pick up your life and move forward with this. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, Neil and, and Trace are both very positive people. Uh, you know, I, there's, there's not a lot of good you can take from this, but I, I think it's uh, they'll look at the situation, the saga, and they'll figure out what what they can do to you know, you know, number one, we we have to look at. How do Canadians get protected when they go to other countries when situations like this and really miscarriages of justice occur? Uh, but the, and they'll also look at you know what do they do for the rest of their lives? They were you know they've been teachers that their profession profession they'd spent three years in Singapore and yes, as I said four years in Indonesia they taught at private schools and in Calgary and also in Oakville before uh, they left to go abroad. Uh, you know now what is it they do? You know we've talked about. You know, writing books and you know talking about the ordeal, but Neil's also taught about writing a book that talks about the uh, you know stories from the jail cell, and uh, mm. all are very interesting. He's had a lot of very interesting conversations and, and discussions since uh, since he's been back. Um, obviously, this was a five-year ordeal, and if I'm asking any questions that are out of bounds, just say no, <laughs> just yeah, yeah. just don't uh, just don't answer. But yeah. how how is he, in your eyes, different than he was before this ordeal? Um, Neil, Neil, and I always, you know, obviously we're close; we're only siblings, um, and Neil's always been kind of that more laid-back, B personality. I think Neil's a little bit more. Centered, you know, when I he talks a lot about the, the meditation that kind of got him through, and uh, really look at you know different religions, um, Buddhism, and the learnings there. He he did spend his time, you know, in addition to staying you know, physically active to keep his body in check. He, he also did a lot of um, inward looking and, and thinking, and, and and I think he learned from some of those teachings, some of the people that he came in, in contact with in prison, um, and also tried to you know, reach out to other people. I don't think that's different from what Neil was like, but I think it really did kind of test who he was as a person. Um, but, you know, I think one of the most amazing things is is just he was able to keep up his, his sense of humor, and, and it is it's a very dry sense of humor, but um, uh, he's been able to maintain that throughout, and I think part of who he is as a person really helped him get through. Um, I know there are times that, you know, when there were, you know, milestones that we're reaching. I think it's a very different scenario versus, you know, being in, in prison and, and not knowing, you know, when the next opportunity for uh, um, to be released is going to come up. And, you know, Neil, Neil did very well from that perspective. I don't know if I would have had the same strength that he had for sure. What was it like for him when he finally realized he was free? Um, one of the funniest stories, well, not the funniest stories he told me was that, you know, he, he literally walked out of the prison and it was very, you know, everything at the end was done very quickly. Um, and, and he said to the prison guard, oh, this is what, you know, fresh air and freedom feels like. And he said, yeah, get in the car. we got to go to the airport. So uh, it just uh, interesting, you know, not being able to to really uh, 
comprehend or take it all at the time because there was that rush to get into the country as soon as possible. But yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think there are times that he he kind of realizes or it, it gets a bit more real to him that he does have the flexibility and the freedom to do kind of whatever he wants at this point. What's it like for him to be back in Canada? Uh, obviously, you know the freedom that we're afforded as uh, as a country is uh, something that he's you know come to cherish. Um, you know, being able to see my parents again and see his in-laws again, hmm. you know, friends and family, all the supporters, that's been uh, huge. I, I, it it is, must have been some huge, it must have been an amazing reunion. You know, it's funny. People say that, but I think you get, like, like the last, you know, several months as we kind of got down and we, we knew there was an opportunity there, there there's so much focus on, hmm. on that day or the days that are kind of coming and passing as we get closer and closer all the time everyone takes their kind of their their private moment and they they do the they do it by themselves and they kind of have that um reflection about what's gone on you know when we finally saw neil at the airport it was not a lunch bag lesson but it was just that okay there he is he's finally here and you know it was more joking than you know there's tear obviously tears of joy but the 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 other things you kind of do silently and I, i I sometimes wonder if you'd do that because, you know, I don't want to, you know, have tears in front of my brother. I want it to right. be more of a joyful um, situation. And uh, there there are times that you kind of sit around and you think about, yeah, it's it's been five years. And you think about all the things. My daughter, you know, went to university and graduated and Neil was never around. Hmm. And, you know, it's that, that's the kind of stuff that puts it in perspective. Um, it must have been something because like you said, you are so focused on, on the task at hand and really have no idea what direction this is going to go. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's over. I mean, that's what I found. It it was like all of a sudden, and as you said, I mean, and you you can't get into all the details at this point, but you know, obviously there were, were clues that, that things were moving forward, but still it's just to be so focused on something for so long and then it's over. Yeah. And it's, it's all the, you know, the travel plans and the coordination and, you know, getting the right people in the right locations. And, um, you're right. You know, he walks in the room and, you know, we have our union, you know, there's some, you know, government officials there also. Uh, but it is, it's this, it, it's, I guess that phase of this is over, uh, but there's also, you know, what's going to happen, as I said, over the next weeks and months to come. And uh, that reintegration, you know, it's a normal society and, and back into the family and, and getting everything kind of in the right direction, looking kind of longer term, you know, what's that going to mean for Neil Tracy as they move forward? Did you think about that when all of this was still going on? I mean, you know, you're right. I mean, as you're, as you're explaining this to me, it's like, well, he's out, so it's over. It's not. It's just beginning for your family and for him. As you said, with the whole reintegration purpose, you don't go through something like this and not come out the other end a different person. Yeah, we, you know, we, did, we had some conversations even before Neil was home about, you know, what the next, you know, weeks, months, years hold you know where he'll you know apply his trade what what he'll do will he write a book um you know the the help that he's going to need kind of to reintegrate and just to, to process and deal with everything so we've had those conversations and again now is not the time to um really focus there it's allowing neil to kind of make his way and and get more comfortable as time goes on and you know reconnect to, to some of the people that he hasn't obviously seen for a long period of time um, and, and just get settled a little bit more. What's it been like for you? Because this was uh, th- this was your mission for five years. I mean, you were on this show 45 times, uh, and you were flying to Ottawa. You were meeting this person. You were doing this. You were doing that. What's it like for you to mission accomplished, be at the stage where mission accomplished? Yeah, it's um, obviously it's rewarding to have Neil home, and that was obviously my ultimate goal. Um it's there, there's a big chunk of your time that you, you focus on that. And there, there's still people that I run into on a regular basis. I said, I root fest this weekend. There's so many people that, you know, came up either who'd seen the story and, mm-hmm. and, and know me or, or think they know me, but couldn't figure it out. And then we had the discussion. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a relief from that perspective. And, um, are you amazed at how many people still want to know? Cause I'm still getting email about this story. Yeah, I, I, I am. I, it's, it's touching to see all the support out there and, um, you know, 
overall humanity is is good. They they do care about people, and they, it's also good for me that I see that a majority of people do feel that this was you know completely um, uh, contrived, and Neil is completely innocent. And that that that's that's a good feeling for me because really, I I wouldn't want him to come home and then have to you know have those you know. Those, those sideways looks and accusations. I, I want him to start at that, that spot where it kind of left, and he has the ability to move forward without any uh, any suspicion from that perspective. Is he angry? Um, I think in his own way, Neil is angry, but he, he's not an angry person. He's, he's very, yeah. say, he's very centered. He, he does a very good job of controlling his emotions. Uh, again, I don't know how he does it because that yeah. would not be how I would have done it for sure. Hmm. Uh, unbelievable. Well, it was so uh, neat running into you at Ribfest. Uh, it's like, you know, uh, we've all come to know your family over the years and in such in this story and how it's evolved. And as I said to you at Ribfest, we're just all so happy it's worked out for you uh, and your family. And again, you know, the roads, the roads uh, still has some work to do on it. And there's there's still lots of issues and such moving forward. But uh, boy, oh boy, it's, cer- it's certainly great to see all of your hard work. And, and everything that your family has, has worked so hard uh, to achieve finally come to fruition. Uh, and again, uh, all the best to uh, to you and the family and uh, your brother Neil and, and his wife Tracy. And whenever he's around, gets around to it, we're more than willing to uh, let him come on and tell the story, however he sees fit. I appreciate it, Scott. I appreciate all your support over the years and uh, all the listeners who have really kept this uh, story moving forward and their, their love and support and prayers has meant a lot to everyone in my family. What do you want from, like, this is an experience that we've all watched your family go through from afar. We hear of these stories happening. What do you want people to take from this? Um, I think, you know, there is a realization that I, we take for granted the country we live in and, you know, we can all have our disagreements on, you know, certain items and certain issues. Um, but we do live in a, in a damn fine country. Uh, it is, it is difficult to travel, tra- to travel times and, um, where you go and what you might be up against. Um, so it's, I think it's important just to, just to be educated from that perspective and, and know, you know, where you're going and, and, op- and the possibility of, of, of trouble from that perspective. Um, you know, and really, you know, being blindsided, um, you know, I will tell you that, you know, both Neil and I have talked about, you know, working with, you know, global affairs and the federal government and, and how we can ensure that that message is, is, is forwarded to other Canadians so that nobody else has to go through something like this. Well said. Guy Bantelman has been with us. Brother Daniil Bantelman, of course, the Canadian teacher imprisoned in, Doni- in Indonesia and now back on Canadian soil and uh, decompressing from it all. Guy, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck to you and the family. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All of the major leaders converged on the hammer yesterday. Uh, Jagmeet Singh from the NDP. Uh, Andrew Shear from the Conservatives, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, uh, Trudeau, all rubbing elbows with you, the average Hamiltonian yesterday, because it was Labor Day. When was the last time we had all? Is it very common to get all three leaders in one city at the exact same time? Uh, um, anyway, uh, so obviously the campaign is in full swing. Uh, the leaders are taking advantage of Labor Day, coming to an industrial city like Hamilton, I guess. Uh, and, you know, depending upon where you were, you may have uh, rubbed shoulders with uh, any one of them. As we gear up for the election campaign, uh, which uh, I guess uh, at this point we have until October 21st. No, no idea exactly what the date will be. Uh, hopefully uh, anytime now uh, the writ will be dropped and we'll find out more. And uh, the show begins, although uh, unofficially the show's been going on for some time now. Uh, liberal leaders, conservative NDP, all in town yesterday, uh, all enjoying Labor Day festivities uh, in the hammer. To talk more about all of this, Michael Tobe is with us, Troy, syndicated, uh, Troy Media Syndicated con- uh, columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hey, Scott. Uh, often to get all of the leaders uh, in one town on the same day campaigning. Um, it's unusual. Uh, I'm not saying that it's never happened before, but yeah, I mean, certainly in Hamilton's case, I, I have to admit I'm not familiar with that. I do think it happened, I may be incorrect, and maybe one of your listeners knows, many years ago, I think it once happened in Atlantic Canada, but it's odd for Hamilton, for sure. 
uh, by chance? Do the other parties know where the other guy's going? Or uh, do you just, hey, they're going, we're going too? Uh, or do you try to keep them apart with when planning these things? Um, 99 times out of 100, there's a mole who knows where everybody's going. And even though the schedules are released on a daily basis, unless there's a last-minute change, you sort of have an idea of where they are. Um, it has happened, obviously, where two leaders have been at the same place at the same time. We saw the recent episode in the little tete-a-tete between Andrew Scheer and Justin Trudeau in Atlanta, Canada. So it does occur right. once in a while right. for National Acadian Day. Um, but, yeah, generally speaking, there's sort of an unwritten rule in the game that if, if X candidate is in, let's say, B.C., Y candidate might go into B.C., but they won't go in until a little bit later so that the media and other people then are drawn by them, or at least they can get the press sort of moving in their direction rather than in both directions. So it does happen from time to time, and they sort of have a bit of an idea of where they might be going or heading. But unless something unexpected happens, usually you don't cross one another. Once in a while you do, but it's rare. So for the, the fact for Andrew Scheer and uh, the Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister to have crossed paths there, uh, as you said, out east a while ago, that mm, you try to keep them apart for the reasons that we saw happen. Well, unless it's a major holiday. Like National yeah. Cating Day, I can understand why a couple are out there. In fact, I'm actually surprised there were only two. You'd think there'd be more. Uh, what about Hamilton? Does this have something to offer? Is this a pivotal, a pivotal point for them all to be here? Well, uh, the 905 area code has always been a pivotal point. It's been a pivotal point for the last few federal elections. Historically, I mean, I, as, as you know, I don't live in Hamilton, but I know Hamilton's history, and quite frankly, it's never been terribly convenient for the conservatives. Let's no. put it that way. Outskirts, we do fine, but directly in Hamilton itself, it's been a while since we've held a federal seat, or at least held a federal seat for a long period of time. You know, this uh, Hamilton has basically been the home of a lot of strong union workers and these political support has mostly been liberal and NDP. doesn't mean it's been completely. There have certainly been PCs who have come through here. Um, Tony Scarica, I believe, was actually, is, is, if I'm not mistaken, a Hamiltonian. There's a provincial representative right there. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's an area that you can understand why the Tories are coming in. They need to, for, for example, Andrew Scheer obviously needs to get as many seats as he possibly can to get a majority. So sometimes you have to go into places where you haven't necessarily had a lot of electoral success, but you'd like to start to. For example, as you, as you know, Windsor is a classic example, very comparable to Hamilton in the sense that strong union town, etc., was heavily in the liberal and NDP camp for years. But if you look at the demographics now and you look at the way people vote, and you look at federal and provincial representation, the conservatives have actually built not only a lot of support, but actually have people in there. They've had federal MPs and provincial MPPs. So it's a good sign that the conservatives have been successful there. So in Hamilton, although a lot of Hamiltonians might laugh and say, well, it's fine that he shows up, but what's he wasting his time for? Remember what Hamilton was like 20 years ago, and who knows, one day Hamilton may be exactly like Windsor. Uh, because all three uh, major leaders in one spot, does that cancel uh, each other out? Or does the message get lost in the sauce? Nobody gets ahead. It's a good question. I mean, obviously, I think people who have their boots on the ground, including you, would know a little bit better than I would. But as a guess, I would say it, it certainly will be split. If you have three leaders there, I mean, just doing the math, that's 33.333%. Carry the carry on the point oh oh one for a while, <laughs> but it, it means that obviously with more faces there and more political representation, the media is obviously going to diversify who it decides to cover. Each newspaper, you know, newspapers like the Hamilton Spectator, TV and radio stations, etc., will obviously cover all the candidates because that's the right thing to do. But yes, generally speaking, if you're going to a particular city, and we'll use Hamilton as an example, you want to sort of be alone, no matter which political party it is. You want to get as much of the coverage you possibly can, or full coverage. But again, if all three leaders are there, and all three of them have come in because it was Labor Day yesterday, so that's understandable, they believe that a 905 city like a Hamilton has potential for themselves and could potentially lead to either... Continuing to hold on to existing seats or build more support and gain new ones, 
I get it. So they decided to take a gamble for one day and go into a city where the unions have always been fairly strong and see if that if their message can resonate with either existing voters or new voters as well. So I think you take a risk once in a while on particular days and special holidays and the like. But generally speaking, during a campaign, you like to be all by yourself so that mm. all of the media focuses on you. How do you balance that that risk? You talk about, you, you know, you just don't want to solidify the base that you have. You also want to go into areas where you might not be as popular and, and try to get some some swing voters. Right. How do you balance that with, you know, uh, the, the dreaded media encounter or something, you know, uh, 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 you know, some citizen calling you out and that makes the news and, and that's the clip that gets uh, goes around the country. How, how do you balance this so you're getting a bang for your buck as a candidate, but you don't end up with egg on your face? Well, that's why you have election readiness and that's why you have damage control. <laughs> Every political party does it the same way. You're right. There are instances where a leader could go up in the front door and just be doing, you know, just a little bit of door knocking here and there for the cameras. He can smile. He can hand out pamphlets. And you just end up getting the wrong person who yeah. either despises you, despises your party, or despises everything about related to the Tories, Liberals, NDP, whomever. And unfortunately, the cameras catch it. And that's where you go back towards damage control, and you basically just try to fluff it off as best you can using the argument that, well, look, we know that historically, you know, Bill has never been successful here, but we're hoping that Bill will eventually be successful here. So this is part of the nature of being a leader. We have to deal with people who believe in our message, and we have to convince those who are against us that we are the best answer or the best response in terms of running the next government for this country. So it's a risk. You're absolutely right, Scott, and it's a good point. And obviously political parties on the left and the right try to avoid those situations as much as they possibly can, but once in a while they do happen. All right, we're just uh, on the eve of an official election, uh, an official election campaign. Uh, most of the parties have put their slogans out. Yes. Uh, how much weight do you put in these positioning statements, these slogans that are supposed to, in one line, you know, uh, wrap up what the party is in a nice little bow? Right. Uh, the Liberals have choose forward. Uh, yep. The Conservatives have it's time for you to get ahead. Yes. The NDP have in it for you. Right. Uh, the Green not left, not right, forward together. Yes. Wow. Uh, Maxine, That's really catchy, huh? Yeah, People's Party of Canada, strong and free. Uh, your thoughts on all of these? Well, look, you, you've listed them all, so we don't have to go through them one by one. But, um, I, you know, the whole thing about sloganeering or about these election statements, I know that some people mock them and say, why does a political party waste their time with focus groups looking for one line that obviously, you know, resonates with the party and then just continues to move forward and becomes the butt of all jokes when it's repeated ad nauseum? But again, you know, if you look back in history, all great leaders, starting from Sir John A. Macdonald, if you want to go back to him, have used these slogans to sort of try to exemplify or try to articulate what the message of the party is going to be. The most recent one, for example, um, is the NDP, In It For You. Now, you look at it and say, well, are they really? Have they ever held federal government in this country? No. And are they really in it for all of us? Aren't they, haven't they always been the party of the working men, of the working mm. class, of the unions, etc.? What do they represent to the middle class? What do they represent to the wealthy, etc., etc.? But again, all of the messages that you've listed, even the Green Party one, which I, I must say is one of the worst I've actually ever come across. Not but, left, not right, forward together. It, yeah, would, it, it would almost seem that not left, not right, so then what is it? Explain it to us, please. Well, and that's the key. Now, to be fair, if you look at the history of Green Parties around the world, especially mm -hmm. in the U.K., in Germany, etc., they have flip-flopped all over the place on particular issues. The German Greens, who are the easiest example, have been part of coalitions for right-leaning and left-leaning governments of the time. The Greens have always tried to sort of center themselves as being the party that can grab from anyone. You know, we're not wildly left, we're not wildly right, but we're right dead center, and that's where Canadians and others want to be. It doesn't necessarily jive very well, one, because if you look at most of the Green Party program, it's pretty left-leaning. But two, it is true that they are not as left-leaning as, say, the NDP, 
which is a great advantage to them because they'll say that, you know, we're not full force in in favor of the free market, but we recognize that market conditions and the free market actually can benefit the country. Using those types of models, which, to be fair, the liberals have also done over the past two it actually will resonate with a lot of Canadians. I think it stands out, Michael. I mean, whether you agree with it or not, I think it stands out simply because it's different, but it has mm-hmm. to be followed up with a need for some sort of explanation because well, exactly. you're telling us what it's not, but you're not telling us what it is. But it's also not very catchy. One of the things about elections... It's a bit clumsy, yeah. Yeah, it's very clumsy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not left, not worry, moving forward. Okay, fine, but uh, repeat that five times fast. You need, yeah, like, yeah. like, for example... I think that the NDP one's also silly, but in it for you, that's quick, it's memorable, and you can run with it really easily. I think the Greens need to just shrink it down a little bit more, but again, they're, in this country, they've only been around for about 30, when were they founded, 83, so about 36 years, and again, they've not really built this great legacy, they don't have a great history, they've had very few MPs and very few MPPs, MLAs, etc., so for that reason, obviously, they don't have the best minds or the longest lasting political minds in the game over time they will and we'll see maybe it'll actually work out a little bit better for them they're just trying to sort of straddle the middle and say that we represent what other canadians represent let's go this way so you're right i mean obviously they're they're taking a position but as you said and you're quite correct they're going to have to explain things. So then, what are you not left? What are you not right? Where, where do you represent the center on certain things? Why do you believe in more government influence? Why do you believe in, you know, taxation that's higher for the environment, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. I think it's just a tough balancing act. The Tories and the Liberals tend to be better about this, again, because they have the history, because those two parties have always run the federal government in this country since 1867, and they have the best political minds. So they can build the best messages or the longest-lasting messages that will resonate with more Canadians than, say, the NDP, who've been around for quite a long time, and their messaging is getting better as time goes along, even if you feel that their political ideas are anthema, which I do. And the Greens are trying to at least trying to distinguish themselves based on the fact that a lot of public opinion polls, and you've probably talked about them on your show, Scott, show them ahead of the NDP. And that an equals poll now has them, what was it, about three points ahead of the NDP, and it is showing because if you just look at the number of nominated candidates for all the political parties, none of them have reached the 338 barrier. The Tories are the closest as of right now, and the Liberals and the Greens are starting to move more towards 300. The NDP are at less than 200 candidates as of right now. And no matter how much smiling they do, and no matter how many times they put out Jugmeet Singh and others and say everything's hunky-dory, the fact that they're going to have this many sacrificial lambs before the writ is dropped for this election, they can be in it for you all they want. They better be in it for themselves, because right now they are collapsing at the seams. Uh, are there common denominators in this, in all of these slogans? It seemed for a while, the last couple of elections, everything was about the middle class. Everything's right. about the middle class, all while kind of ignoring the middle class, but everybody trying to join it, I guess. True. Uh, it seems the middle class is absent from these. Is, is there a common denominator with these? How, is, how have these positioning statements changed? changed over time. Well, you're right. The, the, <clears throat> certainly the messaging, or at least the, the core message of each party, has changed a lot. And you're right, for the past couple of elections at least, let's say two to three to be nice, the middle class has been one of the big points, or one of the big emphasis points that all the political parties have had. The race has always been to the center, as they say politically, but in terms of the middle class, the race was always to the middle class because that is the biggest voting block. And that's the voting block you need, especially in a close election. Do these parties realize that they have been ignored in the last couple of elections? Is this com- combating that? Well, in part, that's probably true. I think that you're right, I, based on the fact that a lot of people, including the media and people in the middle class who actually vote, have suggested that these parties are really not supporting them or really are not defi- you know, defining their values or defending their values, either or. Um, I think that probably using terms like you or using general grandeur statements is not necessarily a bad idea because 
yes, you're right, you still have to sort of explain what do you believe in for X, Y, Z, but at least you don't have to define X, Y, Z every single time you go out and make a speech or go on a campaign bus or knock on a door. For that reason, it becomes all about the individual. And I think that's what a lot of the political parties are looking at right now. What does the individual want? What's important to them? Not to the middle class, you know, not to the not to blue collar, white collar, middle class, upper middle class. They're not that's not relevant any longer. The focus is now on you, the sole person, the individual voter and what he she they want out of life. You know, lower taxes in certain cases, higher in others. More government programs for some, less government programs for others. But the focus is all on you. And for that reason, I think that all the political parties, or major ones, have realized that that's the best way to get votes today. Don't target big swaths of groups. Target each individual voter and sort of tell them in a subliminal way that every vote counts in this federal election. Because the polls are certainly showing it. And the number of candidates, as I've just discussed, you know, is sort of on a really weird, it's a really weird situation in the sense that it's certainly for one major party, the NDP, they're so far behind in certain ways, and that only one is kind of close to finishing it off. Although, in fairness, the People's Party of Canada is quite close, too. So I think that's probably what they're focusing on this time, Scott. I mean, we'll see. If the campaign continues to move forward and those messages are not resonating, there have been times in Canadian political history where the core message is tweaked a little bit, but it's a risk because once you've gone through this and once you've set it up, you really have to go through it full throttle. You have to basically say, this is what we believe in, this is what we represent, and this is what our core message is going to be. The idea is the policies can all shift as time goes along, or if some sort of unique or unexpected event, which doesn't even have to be politics in Canada, it could be anywhere around the world, changes the complexity of the election, fine, you adjust that. But I think this time, again, not to be a broken record, I think they're focusing on the individual rather than a specific group. And that's what they're trying this time around. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a good day. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Always interested in bringing scams uh, that we hear about and so on and so forth through to you, uh, the good listenership, simply because so many of these uh, uh, seem so innocent, so obvious. And then, of course, once you get caught, you realize, oh, my goodness, how could I have made such a mistake by not simply crossing uh, the T's and dotting the I's? A Guelph real estate agent has discovered a scam where houses for sale were also listed on websites for rent. How can that be? And how do you find out about things like this? And and how does the scam work? How do they get money from people? Uh, uh, let's bring in Carrie McCarl, a Guelph real estate agent, and she is with us now. Carrie, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. No problem. So, how does this scam work? How did how, how does this even? Uh, how did you find out about this? How did you realize this? I found out about it because somebody actually called me and asked me, they had uh, driven to the house and they were sitting in front of the house and saw my for sale sign. And they said that they were on a website and it said that the house was for rent. And I said, I'm sorry, it's not. It is for sale though. And I asked him what website it was. And he said he didn't recall that it was a green and white website. Um, and I said, okay. And I didn't think too much of it. I don't know what colors Kijiji are, but, um, it's not uncommon to, as a real estate agent, to find out that somebody might intermittently put a house up for sale on Kijiji. However, right. I also had a real estate agent reach out to me and ask me, because she had a lead asking if it was for rent, and I said, no, it wasn't. Uh, then I had somebody else call me that was sitting out in front of the house. Uh, she said she had been at her hairdresser's and was explaining her dilemma of trying to find accommodation in Guelph. And she, her hairdresser had looked it up and I said, do you know what website she found it on? And she said it was prop to go and there was no phone number on the prop to go website, but they did recommend that if you are interested in possibly renting this home, drive by the home, check it out. And if you're interested, then follow up with a reply email. And I said, well, you're the third inquiry I've had within a week on this. So 
I'm going to try to figure this out. And I'm really sorry, but no, it isn't for rent. (laughs) did Did you find it odd that people would be showing up at the properties and then reading the sign on the lawn and calling you as opposed to the actual person or the, the prop to go website, which they originally found this from? Um, no, because we've heard about it in the past with Kijiji people doing something of that nature, you know, trying to fraudulently collect uh, deposit rents from people. So I wasn't, I wasn't too concerned. I was a little bit more concerned, but it was a dedicated website she said that it was on. And she also told me that her hairdresser had told her about another property that she could drive by and check out. And I had actually known for a fact that the other property had just recently been sold and that it was not for rent. It was a house that was for sale that had been sold. Mm-hmm. So I said, you might want to, um, if you want, I can look into it and see if it is legit. But uh, as far as I know, it was just a house that was for sale as well. Same as this one. So how and, does this scam work? How do the scammers make money off you? Well, uh, see, the thing is, I can't verify if they have, in fact, made any money off of anybody as mm-hmm. of yet, because mm-hmm. when I contacted the police department, um, they said that they didn't have any records of any fraud that has occurred and they can't do anything unless they have proof that a fraud has actually, in fact, occurred. So what I did is I had a non-identifying email address and I reached out to them to try to find out what they were trying to get from people. And uh, they replied back saying that, because I said, yes, I'm interested in this property. Can you please like give me more information? And he wrote this big, long saying that he's a pediatrician and he had been transferred to Prince Edward Island and that he just wanted somebody to take good care of his home in his absence and that he wasn't um, using real estate to um, rent out his home because he didn't want to pay the commissions and he had the application uh, form attached to it and he was asking for a $500 security deposit and then along with all this other information, but at the very bottom of the application, it asked for a picture of my passport. Wow. And yeah, that's, that what, that's what really kind of hit me in the stomach when I got that. I'm like, well, what do you want with that? Um, so these scammers will just find prospective properties that are up for sale, uh, may take a picture of them, whatever, put them on a site, even though they're not for rent, they're for sale, and then this person tries to pretend they're a middleman and get the deposit from people from houses. No, that they are... they pretend they're the actual homeowner. And that was my next question. So this person yeah. actually said, "No, it's my house." It's my house. How yeah, do how yeah, do how do we expo- how do they explain the for sale sign on the front lawn? Okay, so um, after nothing was done about, so I did a bunch of different channels. I called the police department. I called the RCMP. Um, then I called the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center. I have a file in with them on it. And I also had contacted the um, the website service provider, which is Sierra. Mm-hmm. And I also contacted the actual privacy officer in charge at prop2go.com because somebody had, else had given me that information, had right. given me all the contacts to do, and they said, these are the steps you need to take to get this listing removed, and they should remove it immediately. And that didn't happen even after I contacted them. So what did prop, what did the website prop to go say about this, considering it's their site that's facilitating this? Um, they didn't say, oh, so I did get one, I did get a response from him. Um, he just said that, because I said that there's also a number of other listings that are fraudulent on his website, and if he could please do his due diligence and make sure that they are in fact legit before he continues to post them. And and now, is this website to keep my posting on there? Then he was being complicit in fraud. Is this website specifically designed for renters, for people looking for rental homes? It shows. Um, so, if you go on the site, it shows properties for sale, properties for rent, um, all over the Canada and U.S. Now, when I talked to the Guelph police officer, he was saying it shows international. So he said this is like a global matter. Right. Uh, any other uh, complaints or people that have fallen for this and actually been charged or other real estate agents that, that have known of this? Um, so uh, since this has come to light uh, and I've posted it on my social media and whatnot and I've talked to other agents, they've said that they've since found their listings on there as well that are fraudulently listed. 
So um, I don't know what they're doing about it or if, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak for what they've done about it if they've gone any further with it. So basically what's happening here is they're taking the homes that, that real estate agents are listing, uh, they're then putting, putting them on another website saying that they're actual rental properties and that they're their own properties and then asking for a $500 deposit and pictures of their passport in order to continue okay. the deal. Um, do you know of anybody that's put any money down on this or lost anything? I, I don't. I don't. Um, and know that for sure. So I have actually asked people that if, if you have or know of anybody that has uh, been out any money or has given their ID, please contact the, your local police department because this really needs to be put to a stop. And they actually have the gall to tell people, yeah, go around, take a peek at the house, see if you like it. Yep. Yep. They wow. say, apparently, they say, like, look in the windows. So um, I'm surprised after, nobody has like come up and knocked on a door and said, you know, hey, can I rent your house? I mean, it's bizarre. Well, since then, I've heard stories of people have actually said that they've had their yeah. clients that people have knocked on their door and saying, I want to see this house for rent. So how does the customer react when they think their real estate agent's trying to rent their house out instead of sell it? I mean, obviously, <laughs> the client's going to be going, what are you guys doing? Yes, yes. Well, unfortunately, um, fraud and scams are no secret to anybody in today's society, which is really too bad. But I also wanted to mention, um, so since nothing was done about mine, I just continued on and I used my non-identifying email address and reached out to every other single active rental property on that website. And I received a number of different responses from a number of different people um, saying that, you know, they've been transferred for job, they've been, they've been transferred to the U.S., um, some of them don't ask for passport photos, but they do ask for a larger deposit. Um, the one actually asked me for a passport photo. I said, well, what if I don't have a passport? He said, well, a picture of your driver's license will be fine. Um, and some of their responses are, is that you know, just to make it ignore look- the for sale sign on the front yard because we had a falling out with our realtor yeah. and we are no longer using them to represent us. Um, taking a picture of the passport or the driver's license, is that just to make it seem official or are they using that information for... Well, I don't know. That was my big fear, you know, especially when you hear about everything about human trafficking or identity theft, you know, what's the the danger that you could fall in? Like, it's bad enough to lose, you know, $500, but if you lose your identity or have it stolen, that can be financially devastating. Other parts of the country where you've heard of this happening, or is this just seem to be a relatively new local scenario, or has this been going on for a while? Well, I've heard recently, so since this has been brought to light, I've heard recently that um, other parts of Ontario, other agents are saying, yes, this has happened to me, and or, you know, another agent that, you know, and they've, there's, it's amazing the different stories you hear, and it's really sad. I guess the one person actually met somebody at a house that was for rent and the person was so convincing as the landlord he just said he forgot the keys so they were just peeking inside and she said that they her clients had handed him four thousand dollars cash to secure the property wow and you can see how you know there's rental shortages this is all really competitive people are looking for any kind of edge so they're pretty vulnerable here aren't they and that's the thing like right now we have there's a rental housing crisis in guelph and you know people are like well who would be so stupid to do that but when you have a crisis situation, you're not always thinking rationally or doing something you would normally or rationally do. Like you're desperate for a roof over your head. Like this is a basic fundamental need is housing. You talked about how this scam could be far reaching. Uh, is this local people uh, that are doing it at this level uh, and part of a bigger scam or do we know where these people are coming from? We don't know where they're coming from. All I have is their email reply addresses. That's all I have. What did the anti-fraud uh, center people say to you? Uh, they just said to file, uh, to send them my email proof, and they would put it in the file. So I don't know. Uh, they didn't really say anything else. Yeah, we've had them on before, and basically what they do, they're not really, they don't really enforce the law, but they collect all the information, so investigative bodies have some sort of base to go from. So if there's other people that are involved in this and they report as well, then they can start some sort of database to, you know, to somehow link it all together. Uh, did they say whether they had heard of this, that this was a common scam or something that well, was relatively new to them? 
No, when I had phoned them, she had said, oh, I said that they're asking for deposits and copies of people's passports. And she's like, yes. I'm like, what do you mean, yes? It's typical, eh? Yeah. I said, do you guys not have the power to, like, shut websites down? And from my understanding, I thought she said they did. So I don't understand why the website is still up, if that's the case. Yeah. it's uh, So uh, until somebody is scammed locally, is there not much that law enforcement can do at this point? Unfortunately, from my understanding, is they have to be reactive. They can't be proactive. Right. And I even suggested, I said, well, if you want me to, I will give them $500 so I have a reason to lay a claim. <laughs> yeah, really. And he advised me against it. <laughs> yeah, really? Let's flush these people out. Let's go. Well, it's only, I don't yeah. want to see it's only $500, but come on. No. If I can get this shut down, it's well worth it. Yeah, really. Uh, so what about real estate agents? Are they banding together on this? Is there is there some sort of, uh, you know, common press release about this sort of thing for everybody to keep their eyes open for this? It, there's no, there's been no press release that I've seen as of yet. I have talked to the uh, person in charge of our local board, and um, I know that my manager at my office is going to be getting together for a manager's meeting mid-September, and he's going to be discussing if maybe there's anything that they can do about it. Uh, I also do have inquiries um, just through various realtors that I know that are reaching out to people at CREA, which is our Canadian Real Estate Association to see if we can maybe do something as a collective body or Mm. they could do something as a collective body since they're the people really in charge, right, of us. What And really, what like as a real estate agent, what can you do? Your job is the transaction of the house between the buyer and seller, seller and buyer and such. What uh, Even though this isn't your uh, realm or your wheelhouse, what advice do you have for prospective renters? Are there renter, legit renter websites out there? Do we, does everybody have to be cautious about that now? I think anytime you do anything, I, I, I want to say online, but it's even in person, if you're not dealing with a qualified professional or, you know, somebody that you can vet as a true professional in whatever avenue they're in, just take extra precautions and make sure you do your due diligence because, you know, if you're getting a good deal, I'm not saying it's necessarily not legit, but you do have to definitely take extra steps to make sure that it is in fact legit. Is there any concern for the person who owns the house? Is this just uh, the prospective uh, renter that gets dinged here or... Um, what about the person that owns the house? Could they be entrapped here in some way? I don't think that they could be entrapped unless they did something themselves, right? right? But Do you have any clients where all of a sudden someone's banged on their door and said, hey, I was told I could rent this house. Has that happened? I haven't as of yet. <laughs> I hope <laughs> it I hasn't don't. got that far yet. Not, not in myself, like not personally with myself, but I have heard from other agents that yes, that has happened with their clients. Man, you have to ask yourself, what's next? You're just trying to sell a house. I know. I know. And that's the thing. Like, I didn't mean to get in the middle of this big publicity thing, but the only thing the police could and the RCMP could suggest to me is just try to raise awareness and um, get it out there so people are at least aware. You know, this is, you know, if they're doing this with real estate, what else could they do it for? You know, hey, uh, come and take a look at Buddy's F-150 in the driveway, and if you want it, I'll sell it to you. And it's not even yours to sell. I mean... I I have heard that can be an issue, too. I haven't experienced that myself, but... Unbelievable. That's why you always have to be really careful, especially if it does seem like a really good deal. Now, these, these people, these responses I received from them, they sounded pretty convincing you know yeah. like the ones that he was a pastor well you know and you yeah. you tend to believe people because wow. if you're honest and truthful you think everybody else is too unbelievable all right uh carrie mccarl's been with us guelph real estate agent carrie give your company a plug where are you all that stuff i'm at remax real estate center all right thanks well good luck to you carrie and uh thanks for bringing this forward you're certainly doing a service by uh by pointing it out to people carrie thanks so much for the time good luck thank you i appreciate it The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.